Good morning, everyone, especially to members of the KK congregation. I appreciate the invitation by Brother Aang to preach this morning, to join you for worship. And to our visiting brethren who are here, we welcome you as well. And to those of our friends who have been invited to be with us, we welcome you. Today is a date in which the world marks the observance of the birth of Christ. So it is hard to pass this opportunity and not use it as an occasion in which we can talk about this virgin birth of Christ and see if we can draw some lessons that we can learn in our Christian living and in the work that we do for our Lord. We are inundated huh, with this kind of sights everywhere where we go, where this observance is very commercialized to the malls that we have been to, and we've seen all kinds of uh, decorations, all right? And it's interesting that the Wikipedia has this information for us that there are very few countries in the world that do not recognize Christmas as a public holiday. If you see those shaded in light brown on the map of, this, of the world, they are not public holidays in these countries, but they are observed in some ways. So actually, only those countries in dark brown actually do not have anything to do with Christmas. Therefore, the point is, throughout the whole world, the day is either celebrated or observed in some way. How, how did this happen? How, how did it, what is the source of this phenomenon in which the whole world observes the birth of a person in history? Right? And even when songs are being sung, especially the one that we just sang a while ago, the carol, a Christmas carol called Joy to the World is being sung. This song was actually not written to celebrate Christmas. This song was written in the 18th century, in 1719, written by a man called Isaac Watts. And especially, this is very interesting because when we sing the song Joy to the World, the Lord is come, you know. I'm involved in teaching as a Bible instructor at Forces College, and part of my work involves correcting the English grammar of our students who are enrolled at school. So joy to the world, the Lord is come, doesn't sound very correct grammatically, isn't it? Because it is just the kind of grammar that we do not use. But at that time, in the 18th century, it was correct. It is something that is called unaccusative intransitive verb. You don't have to know what it is because you're not required to know this anymore. It is something that we don't use anymore. But at that time, what is meant is that the Lord has come and He has indeed come into the world for 1,800 years, almost 1,800 years at that time. Not only is that the Lord has come, but the Lord is still there in the world. And so therefore, when we sing this joy to the world, the Lord is come, we are saying that He has come and is still in the world in the sense that He is knocking on the doors of the hearts of every individual asking to be invited in. But this joy to the world, although the song was composed based on Psalm 98, it is not talking about the Lord's coming, but rather the Lord's, not the Lord's first coming, but the second coming to come as a judge. This joy to the world was already announced to the shepherds out with their flock at night. And this is read to our hearing a while ago by Brother Keith, where there were shepherds out in the country with their flock. And 
the great announcement of the birth of the Son of God is being made known to the shepherd, the lowly people of the earth. Not to royalty, not to nobles, not to prominent people, but to the lowly shepherd out in the field. That's how God works and not how the world works. And today, if you have something important to announce, you want to announce it to prominent people, the people whom you think will be of benefit to you, but not to God, all right? And so he announced it to the shepherd through an angel. And the phrase that is used is that good tidings of great joy, good news of great joy, which shall be to all people. And indeed, the birth of Christ is good news to all people. And we're going to see why. So this was a period of time in which later on, the Apostle Paul said, in the fullness of time, from God's perspective, this was the right time to send His Son into the world. And that was 2,000 years ago. He would not come. He would not be sent to our time today because that is not God's uh, way of reckoning history. And 2,000 years ago, that was what is called the fullness of time. So let's look at the virgin birth of Christ as recorded by the Apostle Matthew. Matthew 1, 18 to 25. And if you have the Bible with you, we can read it together. This is a rec record of the virgin birth of Jesus Christ our Lord. Now the birth of Christ was, the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When as his mother Mary was, was espoused to Joseph before they came together, he was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public, uh, a public example, was minded to put her away privily. But while he thought of these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is found in her is of the Holy Ghost, and she shall bring forth a son. And thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled. We have spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, uh, did as the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and took unto him Mary his wife, and knew her not, till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Why is this the virgin birth? This is the virgin birth because before they had intimate relationship, right? he was with child. And this child is of the Holy Spirit. This child is a result of the miraculous uh, conception that was brought into place by the Holy Spirit, who is God himself. And therefore, and the next verse, in verse 19, also indicates to us that this is a birth which is unusual because Joseph had not yet had any physical relationship with her and was thinking about divorcing her, all right? But it requires the Lord to speak to Joseph through an angel and to ask him not to fear because she hasn't done, she hasn't done anything that's wrong or immoral but to accept her as your wife, all right? And because that conception that is in her is a conception that is made possible by the power of the Holy Spirit. And not only that, that, that the, the apostle 
uh, Matthew tells us that this, this event, the miraculous birth, the virgin birth, is actually something that has been prophesied 750 years before this fulfillment by the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 7.14, right? This is a fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. A virgin shall be with child. And Joseph, therefore, obeyed what the angel said. To obey the angel is to obey God. And Joseph accepted him as his adopted son and raised him up as his own son and took unto him, uh, uh, took, took Mary, accepted Mary as his wife and did not divorce her. All right? So this is the Jesus, even the name Jesus was given by God. There are arguments, of course, against the virgin birth. Firstly, it violates natural law, isn't it? All right? This is the only time that it has ever happened. But with God, all things are possible. When Jesus said this, he was not talking about the virgin birth. But indeed, this principle is true because with God, all things are possible. And it was necessary for God to send Jesus into the world to live as a human being because God in his omniscience had already known that men, when he had created men, men will sin, men will fall. And therefore, there is a need for men to be reconciled to God because of the separation as a result of sin. And the only way to do that will be for God to come in the form of a flesh and to die on the cross for that sinless Son of God's blood to be accepted by God as an atonement. So this is a very interesting phrase, a verse taken from Revelation 13 verse 8. The Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. What does it mean? It means that the, even before the world was laid, even before the world was formed, even before the world was made, in God's mind, the Lamb was already slain. But Jesus hasn't appeared yet. He was still in God's mind. He was just waiting for the time for Jesus to come into the world, to live as a human being, to live a sinless life, and to die on the cross. So therefore, the virgin birth was necessary. Another argument against the virgin birth is the fact that some people say it's just a figment of the imaginations of Jesus' followers. And they just pick it up from pagan sources and they put it into the Bible records. So... If that's true, what about the many other miracles recorded in the Bible? Which one is greater, the virgin birth or the resurrection of Christ? He died and he came back to life. What about the creation of the world? What about Jesus walking on water? What about the five loaves and two fishes that can feed 5,000 people? All of them are figments of imaginations? Of course not, right? So we accept the Bible for what it says. This is a very highly esteemed work, reference material written and produced many years ago. That is called the Cyclopedia of Biblical, Theological, and Ecclesiastical Literature by two men who are scholars, McClintock and Strong. They are not members of the Churches of Christ. Therefore, the things that they say is not because they back up what we believe. But they say that the observance of Christmas is not of divine appointment. In other words, it did not come from God. God did not say, uh, celebrate Christmas. Nor is it from the New Testament. You can't find it in the New Testament on the birth of Christ as recorded as December 25th. All right? That day of Christ's birth 
cannot be determined from the New Testament. Neither can it be determined from any other sources outside of the New Testament. And the early church fathers, the early church fathers are those who are Christians, who are believers, who are apologists, who are defenders of the faith for the first three centuries after Christianity has begun. None of them wrote anything about celebrating the birth of Christ. None of them mentioned anything about Christmas. So therefore, it is not of a divine origin. It's not scriptural. And the date comes all the way back from 350 AD thereafter when there are mention of the first 300 years, nobody knows anything about the celebration of Christmas. Therefore, it has no scriptural authority and we do not celebrate this. All right? Whatever we do, we have to do it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That means by the authority of Jesus. Jesus who is God. All right? So what is more important uh, than the, the date of birth of Jesus Christ? It is the nature of his birth, isn't it? So the significance of the birth of Jesus Christ is such where we accept what the Bible tells us, the authority of the Scriptures. It is given by inspiration of God. It is God-breathed. It originates from God. It is revealed to us by God. So whatever the Bible tells us, it is from God. We accept it as God's authority. And another scripture that we look to usually from 2 Peter 1, 20 to 21, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. All right? But God used holy men to speak on his behalf or to write on his behalf. And these people, they would speak or they would write as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to be moved by the Holy Spirit? To be carried along, to be borne by the Holy Spirit. Whatever the Holy Spirit reveals to them, they will speak on God's behalf as prophets or they will write on behalf of God who revealed it to them, to the Holy Spirit. Secondly, in addition to the authority of the Scriptures, we learn from the virgin birth of the deity of Christ. All right? Christ sometimes referred to himself as the Son of God especially when he was accused, all right? Then they asked him, are you the son of God? And he said, you have rightly said that I am. The New King James Version said, rightly said. In other words, you said it yourself. So he's accepting it, all right? So therefore, he is son of God. And when he was baptized early in his ministry, right after he came up from the Jordan River, there was a voice from heaven. That's God the Father's voice saying, this is my beloved Son. In other words, God the Father is saying He is the Son of God. So if Jesus is the Son of God, all right, then what is so extraordinary if His birth is a natural birth in the world? That doesn't make Him any different from the rest of the millions of people who live. So it marks the deity of Christ. And thirdly, that He is Savior. It was said to Him, uh, to His adopted father, Joseph, by the angel, that uh, call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Who are his people? From our first reading, if you are uh, uh, new to reading the scriptures, it might come to you as that his people are Jewish people, but not so. Why? Because we learn that Jesus is the head of the church. He is the head of the church, and all those who have been baptized are added to the church. So he is the leader, the head, and the rest are 
followers. Those are his people. Those are the saved, the Christians, all right? And so this is what we mean by uh, the, the, the announcement, the pronouncement that was made by the angels. Great, glad tidings or great news of great joy which shall be to all people because he is Savior. And because of his birth, humanity, humanity today have the chance of being saved by his precious blood. He saved us through his precious blood because without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sins. Right? Without the shedding of blood, sins cannot be forgiven. God is eternal. God cannot die. So therefore, God has to come down in the form of a human being to die so that his blood can be shed for the salvation of humanity. The Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world when he was walking in the Jordan River area. John the Baptist pointed him out to the people, to the multitude, and he, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. His virgin birth make it possible for humanity to be saved today because of the blood that he shed. And because of the blood that he shed, it is precious, all right? Precious blood of Christ. We want to say these things to help those of us who are members of the Lord's Church to appreciate what He has done and to appreciate the salvation that we enjoy and to be filled with gratitude in which it will mark as a feature for our service to God in the years before, beyond and before us. So let's go to a particular passage of Scripture and draw our lessons for this morning. Colossians 1, 12 to 24, right? Giving thanks unto the Father. That's gratitude, right? For what? For salvation. What has He done? God the Father. He has made us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints. We, are, we have received something. We have received something that gives us the right to partake of the inheritance of God's sins, all right? He has delivered us from the power of darkness translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son, in whom we have redemption through the blood, through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. So there are a few things mentioned there, five things that we want to look at. Let's look at each one of them. We receive something, the right to participate in an inheritance that belongs only to the sin. What a great privilege. Many others who, do not, uh, who are not members of the church, who have not yet obeyed the gospel, they do not have this privilege, but we have received this privilege. And then He has rescued us, delivered us, right? Rescued us and removed us uh, from the power of darkness into the kingdom of His dear Son. Before that, before we obeyed the gospel, we were not in the kingdom of His dear Son. We, we were not in the body of Christ. We were not in the church. But He has rescued us and removed us from one place to the other, translated us, uh, or transported us, or moved us from one place to the other. And then there is redemption, a buying back, right? Like slavery, many years ago, where a person has been captured in the jungles of Africa, shipped all the way to the United States and sold as a slave. And if you want to free him, then you buy his freedom and redeem him. And that's what we, are, we were. We were under the bondage of sin. But Christ's blood shed for us when we embrace Him, He redeems us. And then there is forgiveness or remissions, all right? 
So what is the goal of our salvation? As we continue to read Colossians 1.22, the Apostle Paul reminded the church at Colossae that you were alienated, separated, uh, enemies in your mind by wicked works which you did. But now there is reconciliation. You have been saved. You have obeyed the gospel. You have been added to the body of Christ through his death on the cross so that God can present you unblameable or unreprovable or faultless, all right, above reproach in his sight. When will God do this? When will he present us as a group of holy people at the second coming, when he comes again? 1 Corinthians 15, 24. And, uh, when he comes again, he will present the kingdom unto God the Father. All right? This is from uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 24. We will be delivered up or presented to the Father as a totality of the whole church worldwide, universal, when his second coming appears. So therefore, there is something that we need to do. And these are the four things that we want to look at from Colossians 1.24. So this presentation or delivering up of the kingdom, the church, to God the Father, can only happen if these things are continued in the life of the Christian. Number one, continue in the faith. Number two, be grounded. Number three, be settled. And number four, be a minister. Let's look at the first one, right? Continue in the faith. Be constant without any intermission, without interruption, but continue and don't give up, all right? Continuing in the faith is something that is very important. When you look at what Paul has said about someone called demon, 2 Timothy 4 verse 10, he has forsaken me. He has loved this present world. And he has gone back into the world. He was called out of the world to obey the gospel, added to the body of Christ, was working with Paul for a while, but now has forsaken Paul because he loved this present world. And so it is uh, sometimes said that from time to time, we sometimes hear about brethren who do not continue in the faith. Paul was able to say confidently toward the end of his life, and he's, he said that, he has uh, finished his course, he's kept the faith, right? He has fought a good fight. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give to me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. And so he has been faithful towards the end. He's ready to go, ready to be taken up, ready to die, ready to meet the Lord. And we should be like him as well. Press on, do not give up. From time to time, as we visit churches here in our visit to Malaysia, uh, Sister Puifan and I would uh, meet up with brethren whom we have known for a long time. And sometimes we learn about certain individuals who have left the faith, certain individuals who are no longer worshipping, certain families, for example, husband and wife, or the entire family with the children. They have left the faith. They have not continued. They have not been constant. We need to continue in the faith. We, do, we, we must not stop. If we want to be part of the kingdom of God, when the, when the Lord comes again at the second coming, He presents us as holy people to God the Father. Let's not give up. Number two, uh, what can I do to continue in my faith? We're going to look at the second thing mentioned. Be cemented. Wow, what is the word cement? Cement has got to do with what we're talking about. You see, the word cement, we're quite clear. 
about what cement is all about, right? Physically, literally. But the word cement can also be used in a different way, right? When we uh, visited the KL, Manara KL, many years ago, at the bottom of it, there is a, a video display where you can enter into a dark room and they show you the video of how this tower was uh, constructed. And this is not new, it's been there many years ago. And so I remember watching the video of the foundation when they laid the foundation. There were hundreds and hundreds of concrete mixers in line waiting to pour concrete into the foundation. And the whole pouring of the foundation took place overnight. Hundreds of concrete mixers waiting, churning, keeping it wet so that they can pour it. Wow, tons of cement necessary. Why? Because this tower is going to be a tall tower. It needs a foundation to be strong. All right, so the word cement can be used in the sense of firmly attached. That's another meaningful word. Amen. All right. So we need to be grounded in the gospel or firmly attached to the word of God. If you continue in the faith, grounded, firm or rooted and settled and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel. Therefore, be grounded in the hope of the gospel. And where does the faith that we have in Christ come from? In order for us to be rooted and grounded in love, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So in order for us to be rooted and firmly established, we need to grow in the scriptures. We need to study. We need to spend time. We need to spend time knowing the scriptures to grow in the grace and knowledge of God's word. That requires time. That requires effort. Right? And sometimes we seem to spend more time on social media than in studying the word of God. But it's not totally wrong if you're using the social media where you can also have access to resources uh, that are spiritual in nature, that listening to podcasts and recordings of sermons and Bible lessons. That's fine. That's wonderful. That's part of a growth process in which we can continue to grow in a great knowledge of God's Word. And so by doing that, it will prevent us from falling away. And then the third thing that we want to look at is to be consistent, all right? Which means to behave in the same way all the time positively. In other words, do not be, be zealous towards God and in serving God in spurts, you know? For a few years, we were active. And after some time, uh, we're no longer active. And a few years later, there's another burst of spurts of active service to the Lord so that is not consistent, but be consistent throughout. And the word consistent can sometimes be translated as steadfast. Be steadfast. And that's what the Lord wants us to do. All right. And we are to be settled. The word settled means steadfast. All right. And so we are to be steadfast, unmovable, always right? abounding in the work of the Lord. Be consistent. Sometimes you come across old time Christians, all right? And uh, they bump into you, they ask you how things are, and you ask them how things are. Then they begin to talk and reflect about the history of the time when they were young. Oh, those were the days when we will be so active. Oh, those were the days when we did this, we did that, we did this, we went here, we went there. And then you feel like asking, what about today? You have not been active in church, you have left church, you have not continued. Or you're attending church sporadically, all right? You, uh, what happened? Why are you not consistent, all right? 
So that's not good, all right? We want to be consistent throughout the rest of our life, all right? And there was a time in which Jesus talked about the fall of Jerusalem in Matthew 24. And at that time, uh, when, it, uh, when the city was besieged by the Roman army, all right? Uh, people would be looking for the Christ. Where is Christ? He's supposed to deliver us. And all kinds of false teachings would appear. False prophets will deceive. They will come about and deceive many. And uh, the love of many shall wax cold. Which means that at one time they were warm, zealous. But because of adverse situations, the love for God and for brethren is going to wax cold. Therefore, inconsistent. But we're not to be like this. We should be asking ourselves, how can I serve the Lord better in the years to come? Right? In the years to come, especially when we have one more week and the new year will begin 2023. So let's take the time to reflect upon our service to God, especially upon our own salvation, how the gospel has been preached to us, the Lord has blessed us in our lives, and we have had our, our blessings in so many ways, materially and spiritually, and how we are to use that uh, gratitude to serve the Lord by continuing to be faithful not to give up, to be consistent, and then to serve Him better in the years to come. And fourthly, lastly, be a crusader. In what sense? What do we mean by crusader? A crusader is someone who campaigns for something that he believes to be important. Sometimes it's for political reasons, social reasons, or religious change. And in that sense, we are campaigning for religious change in the life of people. For, uh, to, to come out of uh, falsehood and to know the gospel, the word of God, and to restore the Lord's church in that sense by helping people to find the Lord's church so that they can continue to be faithful until the Lord returns again. So we are crusaders. And Paul said this himself, where he said the gospel, not to be moved away from the gospel, but the gospel has been preached to every creature under heaven, all right? In that period of time, Colossians 1.23, the church had just uh, begun about AD 30. This was written about AD 60. In a short 30 over years, the gospel has been preached to every creature under heaven. Uh, we don't think that this is a, a literal sense to every single person on earth, but it's used in a figurative sense, meaning that to the entire known world. And the entire known world is the Roman Empire at that time. But nevertheless, it impresses us to know that the gospel has been preached to the entire known world at a time in a short 30 years. All right? In a short 30 years. Of course, the world today is a much bigger world and more effort is necessary. But Paul said that he was made a minister, a minister of the gospel. He was a campaigner, a crusader in that sense. And that same uh, commission that was given to him is also given to us today. The Great Commission, where we are to seize upon opportunities to preach the gospel, to teach people, make disciples of all nations, preach the word. What a wonderful privilege it is. So let's use the opportunity that we have, all right? Out of a spirit of gratitude for our salvation, to not give up but to continue the good work. So these are the four points that we look at. Continuing the faith, grounded, settled, and Paul being a minister. Right? All of this as a result of 
giving thanks, gratitude for our salvation. So as we draw the sermon to a close, let's look at the things that we have looked at. The virgin birth of Christ brings joy to the world. So let's be thankful for our salvation. Let's not give up. Continue, all right? Continue to grow, to grow in the faith, and be consistent in our service to God, and spread the good news of the gospel so that souls can be saved, and that will fulfill what is meant by the angel's announcement that the great tidings, glad tidings of great joy to all people, all right? If you are a member of the Lord's church and you desire for the prayers of the Lord's people for you to revive yourself, we are going to use that opportunity to encourage you before we sing the song of encouragement 677. If you're not a member of the Lord's Church, and you've been studying with members here, you understand now the need to obey the gospel, and you wish to obey the gospel this morning, the same opportunity is given to you to respond to the invitation to be baptized for forgiveness of sin. And whatever your needs may be, whether for prayer or to be obedient to the Lord through baptism, this opportunity is given to you. Let's now stand as we sing the song of encouragement this morning.